Welcome to What Moves You, a Speedway Motors podcast for people who love cars. I'm Joe McCullough, and today we're talking with Andy Leach. He's the owner of Cal Automotive Creations and has built cars that have won the Riddler, run at Bonneville, and win awards just about everywhere they go. Our own Jeff Carls joins in on the conversation where we'll talk about car building philosophy, what's in Andy's home garage, and the amazing story of how hard work and dedication have made Andy one of the most influential builders in the country. So I suppose the logical place for us to start is how how you got started. How did you first fall in love with cars and what made you want to do what you're doing? I don't know. I just always liked making things and figuring out how things work. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was kind of always, uh, uh, I just figured it out. I mean, my dad was never the most mechanical guy. Mm-hmm. He was always into cars. Um, so I just... you know, I have no schooling in any of this. It's just figure it out, screw something up. And well, that didn't work. So here we go. Um, but I think when I got into cars, you know, my dad was always into cars. Um, I grew up playing a lot of sports and we were, uh, we were down in Lincoln actually, uh, for the Cornhusker state games. And we were driving by a dealership and there was a 34 Chevy sitting outside. And my dad, like, you know, as his head spun the wheel just <laughs> went to the left and there we were, we were looking at this Chevy and, and, uh, at, from that moment on, that was the fork in the road. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that was the thing that I just became really, really interested in. I knew nothing about any of it, but it just, it just lit a fuse. And, and the cool thing, and Jeff knows about this is, uh, later in life, I guess we just figured this out a few years ago. Um, when Jim started, Jim Carl started working for me that that Chevy, all the Carl's boys put that car together. Yeah. It's crazy that that car was in both of our family photo albums from, from the early days of like, this is, this is a car that we had when, when Jim was a teenager, you know, it was an old car company car that dad picked up and, and did some, uh, you know, updating and repair and stuff on. And it was, yeah, it was crazy that, that then you had pictures of the car. It was, it had a better stance. I know that. I lowered the crap out of it. And then I took my big butt for a ride in the back seat and it burned all the paint off the fenders. My dad was so pissed. It was... <laughs> but it looked good. <laughs> exactly. I, I, now I bring you impractically low, which is what just about everything that I own is. But which is what we've so all been cool. doing ever since then. <laughs> he had an interest in the shoebox Chevys, the 49 to 54 Chevys. Mm-hmm. And uh, back then you could buy them really cheap. So we'd just go drive around, find a shoebox Chevy and, bring it home and I'd destroy it and we'd throw that one away and we'd go find another one. So now in the Midwest, now in the Midwest, those cars are uber rare because I ruined all of them. So me and me and Jim, this, I mean, this might go in a little different direction that we might not want it to go, but it's, it's pretty, pretty interesting how Jim and I, and, and, and you too, Jeff, that we have a similar story with our fathers and, and, and how we lost them. And, and Jim and I had a huge, uh, a bro moment. I don't know. It's probably at least track time, maybe six, eight months ago or whatever. And I had to ask him something about I'm like, do you ever, you know, have these thoughts or feelings or whatever about your dad? And we just like stopped and here's two grown men crying together in the office. And it was really cool. It was just like, you know, we have so much in common. It's almost scary. And then the whole thing with this 34 Chevy deal and, and how that started my car career and, uh, I, it, it's just pretty cool. So it's, it's uh, a lot can be said for our, for our fathers. They were, 
this, this, even though they never met, maybe they did. I don't know, but I think they were, they, they had a huge, uh, they were, they were very similar in the way that we were all brought up and, and, you know, us as parents now, we, we need to probably take a look at that and instill all this hot rod stuff or whatever it be into our kids and hell the world probably be a better place. But, um, it's set. Yeah, it's amazing how just that little bit of wind in the sails can set that course for somebody's whole life of, you know, to, to have that influence early on and, and to be able to see what it is you can do and how that can be a creative outlet. Right. Yeah, I guess you never know what it'll be that'll spark somebody's interest. But like you said, a little sail of wind will do it. As we were preparing for this interview, I read your bio on your website and frankly, I was expecting the, you know, I'm, I'm the best builder in the world and let's bring your dreams to me and let's make your dreams a reality kind of thing that you see on most of those bios. And I was really impressed with the sort of personal story that you told about, you know, basically overcoming everything just because you couldn't stop doing what you loved. I don't know if it's because I was stubborn or not smart enough to do anything else or what it is, but, you know it's always been since that 34 Chevy, it's just been cars. And, mm-hmm. uh, I always say, and, and Jim, Jeff's brother will say the same thing that we're our own worst enemy at this because you come up with these creative ideas and then, uh, it's like, well, how in the hell are you going to make that work? <laughs> and it's like, why do we do, why do we do this to ourselves? You know, but that's the whole, that's the whole thing that just keeps driving us is I guess sometimes trying to do the impossible, mm-hmm. um, and making things look, right even though i guess making things look right and simple even though it's it's like the furthest thing from simple i didn't know what else to do other than follow my dreams Mm -hmm. and it's pretty it's pretty crazy how um if you put if you put the the time and dedication into it these people just start like coming to you Mm -hmm. like my first employee eric hansen words don't describe Eric, but he was my mm-hmm. first employee and you just kind of show him something and he just takes off. And that's the passion. He's like a big sponge. Mm-hmm. And, and all my guys are that way. And, uh, which is pretty cool. And, and, and I always say it that, uh, we're all good at like one or two things and then we suck at about eight or nine things. <laughs> so, but that's what makes the team and that's where, where it all you know falls together. And a lot of the ideas on these cars and stuff are it's, it's from everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we might have a, a certain look that we, that we like. Um, well, obviously, and there's certain looks that we can't stand. So we stay as far away from those as we possibly can, but <laughs> um, yeah, it's just a passion thing. I don't know. Pretty, pretty darn lucky to do what we, what we get to do. Mm-hmm. The thing is with the complimentary talent that you've got assembled there at the shop, it's, uh, you know, it's just like you said, it's a, that's what part of being a team is about. Is it, you know, everybody's talents complement each other's so you can come in and you, you guys all converge on these cars, especially when, you know, like I saw with toward the end of the Model A, you know, everybody, that thing looked like it had ants crawling all over it. This discipline is, you know, this is what Paul, this is Paul's jam. This is Eric's jam. And then, you know, like everybody kind of does their thing and. And that's, uh, that's really amazing to see these things kind of work their way up from a set of, you know, mock-up rollers that on, on a table to like, holy crap, now there's a car there. Well, and, you know, you talk about craftsmanship, and I think that that's something that is 
kind of almost being forgotten. We sort of live in a throwaway society where you use a thing up and then you go get another one. And the general idea of building a thing or fixing a thing and maintaining a thing and sort of having a relationship with a thing is sort of almost being forgotten. And so building cars is a, a big extension of that. You know, you're inventing something out of nothing in a time when few people are able to do that. And even more so if, as a metal shaper, you know, a fabricator and a metal shaper, that's almost kind of a lost art. It's almost like a lost language that few people under the age of 80, you know, know anything about or know how to do. And so the, in addition to building cars, being able to sort of keep that art form alive is really cool. I know you brought up Paul's name. Paul's from Australia. Once you meet Paul, uh, you'll never forget him. <laughs> he's a very, very, uh, he's a great guy. Great guy, extremely talented. But it's weird how, like, the craftsmanship in Australia is far from, is, is on extreme different measures mm-hmm. as it is here, as far as the sheet metal side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they metal finish stuff. And when it's metal finished, I mean, it is like, it's the real metal finish, not this stuff you see on Instagram where somebody slides a DA over it and you can't get the dents and stuff <laughs> in the, the hollows and whatnot, but which everybody gets better when you have somebody like that around. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and you can say that for Jim too is, I mean, Jim's Jim is a guy that can take almost anything and make it work. I don't know how he does it. <laughs> don't tell him I said this, Jeff, but he's pretty amazing. He's been cleaning up my messes for, <laughs> for the last 30 years, 40 years. No, it, it's, you know, if it has to work, give it to Jim and he will figure it out. He's going to cuss at it and, and get all mad at it and, you know, say how stupid it is. But he's got the same drive that we all have where he's not going to let it go until he has it figured out and it works. But again, there's the passion thing. And yeah. uh, the cars keep getting better and they're real cars. And that's mm-hmm. pretty cool. Um, so when you can make a car that's, that, that makes a statement and is actually a car, that's a real car, that's pretty damn cool. Right. And then we have the clients that are actually using them. That's way better than any dumb little trophy that you can win. I I was just going to say, that's been a huge shift in the industry. It seems in the last, just in the last 10 years. And I think, you know, uh, organizations like good guys had a lot to do with that where you actually have things to do with the car at the event. It's not just, you're not going to go and race your lawn chair all weekend in front of your car and, (laughs) you know, yell at people to stay away from it. Don't touch it. You go out and you, you know, you'll beat the hell out of it on autocross course. You'll go out and, you know, and actually take the car on a reliability run or drive, you know, God forbid, drive the car to an event. And, you know, that's, that's different than that used to be, especially at the level at which these cars play at. I mean, that's, that's really that's really saying something for somebody to get out and you know to beat that car up the highway and you know I'm I'm thinking like Howard's sixty two and how w- well built and functional that car is that's just a it's just a gorgeous car and it's you know it's all at that level of quality that that is usable which adds a whole other facet to it right well and that's that's what's cool is you can take we'll just use that car for an example here I mean I feel that car top to bottom. And it's the same with, like, let's say, the car we just finished, the Cuda. When you have everybody on this team that's so dialed in and all has the same focus of, of quality, but they take their little part 
and they do theirs to the best they can. Each each piece of the puzzle fits together, and that's why that entire car comes together and it works because each piece is is you know it's not like it's not like oh we just took it to a body shop and man the outside of that car is really pretty but the rest of it man mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't work. So you know, and that, you know you know what I mean. I mean it's it's a uh, each guy has their thing and 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 there there it goes again too that most of us have this passion that are into cars that it's this is our job but it's more than just an eight to five deal mm-hmm. you know you wake up at two in the morning and try to figure out how to do the thing that you couldn't figure out at five thirty the night before yeah right right and i think that's something there that you just said that i don't know kind of drives me is i don't like being told no <laughs> so, so um I'm going to figure out how to make that work regardless of whatever it is. And if I can't, Jim's probably going to make it work. So, <laughs> <laughs> and if he can't, Eric has these magical hands that, uh, I don't know what the hell he does, but he can make anything work. It just, <laughs> it might not be the prettiest way of him getting it to that. Point to <laughs> he can MacGyver that thing where it looks like a, a beautiful gym and it works. So, <laughs> Well, and we've sort of started to talk about your philosophy philosophy of having to be able to drive the car. It has to work as a car as well as work as a showpiece. You know, beyond that, it kind of seems like your cars, you know, you look at the the checkered past and and look at the bubble top and, and, you know, to the far then end of the spectrum, the Bonneville car, you know, you're kind of mixing. It's not just a high tech new thing that looks like you're trying to make a, a CUDA look like a McLaren F1. It, and it's not just a traditional car that has a, a flathead and wire wheels. You know, you're, you're pulling all of these influences. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, that's, that's interesting because I kind of want to talk about that too. I, I think all of us here at my shop have the same, same vision for these cars. Keep the car what it is. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter if it's a CUDA. 34 Chevy or whatever it is, keep that car, what it is. I'd be okay. If that whole pro touring, the wings and the splitters and the <laughs> added 700 bolts to a car or whatever it is. And, but just go away. Cause these guys, you know, you see a lot of Camaros being built and that's cool, but keep the Camaro, what it is, you know, don't, don't build this soulless thing that has this spaceship looking dash and, and whatnot a camaro is a beautiful car just keep it what it is Mm -hmm. and uh, that's what we try to do here is is just refine the car Mm -hmm. um even though it's very complicated and the car is probably all cut up and we take a half inch out of this little i don't know fender door or whatever but we do that to try to visually enhance the proportions but still keep that car what it is Mm -hmm. um and and again keep it functional. And, and that's something to say too, is the, the whole parts in the industry have gotten a lot better um, as far as the quality of parts. And, and uh, I mean, we order from you guys, like if we miss, if we don't get a package from you guys on a day, something's wrong. Cause it's throwing <laughs> up every day. So, but the quality of parts has really improved and we've seen it just in the last five years, at least you get to using the same parts on each car. Cause you, mm-hmm. you know that they work mm-hmm. in, in like a, in a, a certain combo. What I find really interesting right now is, is the whole, the industry in a whole feels, feels like it's really headed back towards a traditional or a, mm-hmm. a 
a timeless look where you're putting door handles back on, yep. you know, you're not putting these Taurus handles inside of a car or whatever, <laughs> you know, just these ridiculous look things, but you're putting the, the door handles back on because, because they work. I had a client, a lot of the, the clients that we build cars for have obviously built a lot of cars and, and they get it. And, and one of them said one time, I'm like, well, do you want, it seems like every guy wants power windows and, mm-hmm. and, that we built the two to four. He goes, why would I want those? He goes, my arms work just fine. And it's kind of, <laughs> you know, it's like that's perfect because you don't have to overcomplicate the car. It can mm-hmm. look complicated, but don't overcomplicate the car. Just use stuff that you know works. And, uh, and ultimately that's what makes a better car. I'm going to put you on the spot and ask if you had to s- define your aesthetic or the aesthetic of your shop uh, in a few words, you know, a short statement, you know, you could define like, if you look at like Boyd Coddington, you could define the Boyd aesthetic pretty succinctly. Do you have your version of that? I have this quote that I saw it somewhere a long time ago and it's always kind of stuck with me and I don't know if it makes any sense, but it makes sense to me. So, um, (laughs) I guess aggressive elegance, tire sizes and wheel sizes and the overall stance kind of set the whole mood of the car. Mm Mm-hmm. From there, the little details kind of work themselves out, but it's it's all how it's all about from A to Z, just the the stance, the fit, finish. Try not to make something pop out mm-hmm. because if it's popping out, you you don't want somebody focusing on one area of the car. You want right. somebody to you want the car to draw them in, and this could be said for any any art form. Let it draw you in, and then you start noticing the little details. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things I've noticed with your with your overall aesthetic. And you, you talked about it with kind of touching on the Camaro thing. First, do no harm. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. And when, when you guys were building when you guys were building the 40, and I heard that you were chopping a 40 Ford coupe, that's one of those things that's like, hold up, wait a minute. That was really pretty damn close, just as the way it came out of the factory. That car is really really pretty hard to improve upon the silhouette of that car. And, and then when I saw the finished product, it's like, wow, you know, I've seen a lot of chopped 40 coupes and most of the time, you know, there's a little, it's got a crook here or a bump there or a lump there. Or it's too sloped on the back of the top. There's a lot of ways to screw that up. And I've seen just about everywhere there was, but that car flows. There's, there's not a visual barb on it that doesn't look like it's right where it belongs. Um, you know, the colors and the finishes and everything, especially the differentials in different finishes of the same hue, you know, the different, the different tones of, of gold finish and stuff and, and that kind of the bronze color that's on that car. I mean, that, that to me is one of the things that kind of defines the cow look. Right. I, I have a funny story with that, that you said that. And, and thank you for saying all those kind words about it. Um, I had wanted to cut the ever-living crap out of that 40 <laughs> the day I started on it. And, you know, it was the old, you'd take a photo of a, a 40 and you'd cut it and tape it back together. And I knew what I wanted to do. And my friend, Jason Holland and Nick Hazing, I was hanging around them one day and I, I texted them like, I'm going to wedge section and chop that car. And I remember they both <laughs> said, don't do it. And they came out to my shop that night and I had it, but I was like, no, 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 you know, you're not going to tell me no. And uh, <laughs> I, I think they came out and I showed them pictures or, or maybe I even wedge sectioned the car and even did the top and just kind of clamped it back down. And they came out and they were like, Holy cow, that does look good. <laughs> and, um, and 
but I always remember, and you just said it too, Jeff, that it's, that's, there's a fine line of sometimes cutting these things and moving stuff. It seems like there's times people do that stuff just to do it with no purpose or even stepping back and looking at the overall picture. You know, I think you can, I'm a firm believer. Every car should be wedge section. So, <laughs> but there, everything has to be moved in, in relationship. So um, like the 40 was wedge sectioned. If I remember right, inch and a half in the front and zero in the back. Well, when that wedge was laid out, the A pillar was chopped like three eighths of an inch, which sounds absolutely ridiculous. It's like, why would you cut all that, take all that time moving all that structure and cutting everything just to move the A pillar three eighths of an inch. <laughs> But yeah, it just—it's one of those things. Just a little tweak here and a little tweak there really softens up the lines and and makes the car look like it's going forward and and, and mm-hmm. fast. I don't. That's the goofy stuff that that I guess I I take pride in is is those little things like, man, if you take a half inch out of that fender or something, can you imagine what that would do to that line that that whole that that light line in that car? Well, that's that's one of the things the restraint to stop at that. Because it's just as much work to take a, a half an inch out as it is to take an inch and a half out. And that I've always equated that to like, you know, a 292 cam is the same price as a 268 cam. <laughs> Why wouldn't I just buy the 292 cam? It's bigger, right? Bigger is better. Um, you know, and there's so many people that fall into that trick bag. And I think builders kind of sometimes fall into that too. It's like, I'm going to show off my prowess with an English wheel and how well I can TIG weld and hammer, you know, hammer finish this metal. And But wait. Just because, <laughs> you know, it's it could be fit could be finished and and fitted perfectly, but if it didn't add to the aesthetic of the car, then it was kind of all for naught. You know, it, it becomes one of those things that draws your attention. Like, man, that thing would be great if only. And that's you know that's where that restraint shows up and says, oh, you know what? That was very intentional. That was very deliberate to do that. And yeah, that's what I love to see when when you see one of these cars and and I don't you know, I don't know how much of what's in the shop right now you can talk about but the the uh the little the the one we were looking at the other day that with this the uh, new roof skin and stuff on it that that uh the stainless roof car oh yes we can talk about that okay that that little t-bird and at, looking at that mid 50s t-bird and like not realizing all the little things about those cars that kind of bug you until you see one with all that stuff fixed and it's like that should have been that way. That thing should have grew out of the Ford factory that way. <laughs> That's probably the perfect car to, to speak of um, about all these little modifications and whatnot and things that kind of the do's and don'ts um, that Ross Myers owns that car. Um, we built Ross. When I was at Troy's, we built Ross Myers, the first love car, the Riddler winning 36, three window. Mm-hmm. Um, I ran into him, I believe is a year and a half ago now. First time I've seen him in years and we, we got to talking and, and he took my number and I thought, Oh, that was cool. Talk to Ross, you know, out of the blue, he texted me one day about this Thunderbird and it was like, Holy cow, a Thunderbird. Um, I've always thought they're kind of, especially that particular year, 50, 55, 56 are a little bit awkward looking, but then he said he wanted to pop it and do like a stainless roof. And at first I'm like, Oh, you're like, what? <laughs> And then, you know, then I, I call Eric Black. I'm like, all right, dude, you got to put this on paper. <laughs> it's like, you want to do what? And, you know, that was kind of everybody's first thing. And I said, I know. And then a couple hours later, day, a couple days later, Eric texts or calls and he's like, dude, this thing's going to be wicked. <laughs> drawings over and it's like, 
man, they, they should all look like that. But the first thing you think of when somebody says chop a Thunderbird, it's like, are you out of your mind? You can hardly sit in the damn thing to begin with. And now you're going <laughs> to chop it. You know? But that there is a perfect example of a car where if you stare at it long enough, you can really pick out the things that bug you and, and make the soft and subtle modifications like the wheel the the rear fender or wheel openings uh, putting a little flare on them that somewhat matched the front um and paul made all those and they look just phenomenal but it's like why doesn't every thunderbird have that <laughs> because because fender skirts and poodles you know you fender skirts poodle skirt skirts and your fuzzy dice i mean that's and that's going to tip people over it's really like it takes all the things, like all the stuff that was a little wonky with those, and it, it it you know accentuates the really good, and it it downplays what was not right, you know, not really so great. But and when you stand back and look at it, it just looks like it ought to be that way. That uh, that was impressive. Yeah, you don't know why it looks like that, but it looks right. Um, yeah, and and you know those cars were supposed to be the sports cars and and the competitive deal to the Corvette and whatnot. But just softening that roof up, and it's not like it's softened up. I mean, I think we chopped it, what, inch and a quarter in the back, and then it was more of one of those things that looks right than actually taking a tape measure to it. But, mm-hmm. I mean, I think the rough numbers were inch and a quarter and probably like three quarters in the front or, or seven-eighths in the front, something really goofy. Just um, enough to make a windshield a nightmare. <laughs> well, yeah, why wouldn't you? <laughs> if you're going to do it, really do it. So, um but yeah, man, you put that car outside and it's just like, wow, the lines of that car, it just, it just pops. And, and yet yeah, now we have the task of making the rest of the car follow suit with it. But, but that's, what's kind of fun is, uh, uh staring at that stuff and, and just figuring out, all right, well, if we do certain finishes here and a certain color here and, and not trying to over-exaggerate something, but make it, make it pop in a subtle way. I know that sounds kind of crazy, but, but that's really, that's really kind of what we do. It's, it's just a lot with colors and and we're not, the cars we build are are not flashy at all. I don't like the, the real bold flashy in for six months out, you know, out of style Mm -hmm. right there. Um, We like to do the timeless or we, we think we're building timeless anyways. Um, The whole timeless look, you know, why, if you're going to, if a customer is going to spend any amount of money, why wouldn't you build it for a duration of time versus what's really the flashy thing right now? You know, I mean, you see a lot of that on Instagram and stuff. It's like, wow, that car's cool, but mm-hmm. what's that thing going to look like in like a year? I like, you know, in the eighties, everybody had the tweed interior and the check marks in their door panels mm-hmm. and you know, whatever that whole style was. <laughs> and now you look at it and you're like, what in the hell are we thinking? <laughs> and maybe we'll say that again in 20 years. I don't know. I wanted to talk to you about running at Bonneville because I have, that's like bucket list thing. I don't even want to drive. I just want to crew on the car. I guess that's what's fun with what, with everything we have going on in the shop. It's a little bit of everything. And then you do the Bonneville stuff, which we're not running the speed mm-hmm. week this year. Um, we're going to try to run later in the year. But the whole Bonneville thing throws another twist into the, the rest of the cars that we build because Bonneville's fun at the car that you have to, it has to work. Mm-hmm. It has to be safe. So that automatically has influence on everything else that we do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's bare bones race car. You're not trying to make a fancy little cover that covers this thing. So you mm-hmm. can't see it. 
it's more of a, a deal where we, we tried to make the car where it is bare bones, but that part is made in a way where, well, that's pretty damn cool. Mm-hmm. Even though it maybe just a different spin on, I don't know, a, a bracket or, or whatnot. It's kind of the ultimate of where form meets function. Yes, that, exactly. You, know, you, you still want, you still care about the aesthetic and you still want the car to be well engineered, but first and foremost, it needs to function and you need to be able to service it. So between passes or to do maintenance or to do whatever, you know, it's got to, and those cars, all of them, you know, I, I love to look at the, the McKeegan streamliner, the McKeegan Schultz streamliner that's in the museum. That thing is 10 pounds of stuff packed into a five pound bag and it looks like a spacecraft with the body panels off of it. You know, there's, there's a place for everything and everything's in its place. And and to see something that two engineering minds, you know, orbited around each other for 10 years or whatever it was that when they refined that car, that's to me, the coolest thing about Bonneville and that there is no accepted convention of like, go, go fast. Well, we got a problem. Figure it out. You know, you know, the thing, the thing tries to take off at 175 miles an hour or, you know, whatever. Well, figure it out. You know, it's, there's not a formula that like, okay, well, you go buy this chassis and then you slap this, you know, carbon fiber body on it and you use these guys as engine. And it's, it's a little different than most other forms of motorsport in that respect is that it's still sort of a frontier of, Hey, go, go knock yourself out. See if you can go fast that way. You know, maybe nobody's tried that. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. There is no formula, and boy, everybody out there has a different theory on it. And uh, you read that rule book, and you know each section has like a couple sentences or a paragraph on on what what each individual part of the car has to be. And it's pretty interesting how you interpret it, mm-hmm. and how I interpret it, and how that guy over there interprets it. It's, I mean, it, it's so far, it's it's different. But that's what's fun about it is you go out there and yeah, you look at that that streamline, and you're like wow, that thing's crazy. And how do you package all that crap in there? There's a lot, of, there's a lot going on to those cars. And it's, uh, I recommend anybody that has a chance to go out there, go ahead and go out there, but be under the, be under the realization that you're going to be hooked. So mm-hmm. you just got oh, yeah. a new hobby and, and it's expensive so <laughs> for anybody that doesn't know anything about it. I think most of us car guys know about it, but if anybody out there doesn't watch that movie, the world's fastest Indian, that's oh, got to be like, that sums Bonneville up right there. And the passion that everybody has for it is just, that's exactly what it is, you know? And the cool thing about Bonneville is, is everybody's out there for the same purpose. Mm-hmm. And you break down, you know, it's like you're on the damn moon or whatever. And <laughs> ain't going to get no parts, but you just walk over to the next pit and everybody's like, I swear they'd give you a motor or whatever. Everybody's yeah. just really cool. And it's such a great, amazing equalizer. I think that's my favorite thing about being at Bonneville is the guy over there could make a million dollars a year. And, you know, when I started going, I was in college and I think I had, like, I didn't know if I was going to have gas money to get home, but we were all there for the same reason. And in that, for that week, we were, you know, we were united in that. And I think the world could use more of that, you know? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) What a crazy time we're in, but yeah, let's all just go to Bonneville and it'll make things better. I wanted to ask you what it was like to win the Riddler. Everybody says that they have a defining moment in their life, a change their life. And I think that other than meeting my wife, that is definitely the Riddler thing changed my career. Yeah. Um, you know, I, 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 you said you read my bio and I mean, that's exactly what it was. I sat there and I had no freaking clue what the hell I was going to do with my life after 
after that ceremony thing was over, it's like, I literally, I can't remember if it was six or $9 to my name <clears throat> and it was probably in my pocket. No, I'm serious. I mean, it was, I was a single dad and I had no idea what the hell was going to go out, what was going to happen. And uh, funny to say winning a trophy like that just ignited the whole business thing. And, and uh, I know there's been a lot of people that have tried that and maybe it didn't work. And I don't know why I got lucky with it, but it changed, it did change my life. And and then, you know, riding home that next day from Detroit, and my phone's ringing and it's like <laughs> this dude in Nebraska, that's not really all that interesting to talk to. And how are you guys getting my phone number? You know, like, <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that just proves my theory that in a lot of different ways, a great car can change your life. And I, I think that you say that there's no need for what we do, you know, you don't need a 40 Ford in your garage, but you kind of do, you know? <laughs> well, and that, and that's interesting with some of the clients that we have is, you know, a lot of these guys are successful guys that started a business from ground zero and cars, that's their, that's their drug and their escape, mm -hmm. you know, from, from the day, the daily just grind and stuff. And yeah, we all got our little thing. And, and for all of us, it's cars. We're going to post to the toolbox at speedwaymotors.com pictures of all of these cars that we're talking about. And, you know, they can be seen at, at your website too at calautocreations.com. But the thing that I'm curious about is your personal stable. Do you have cars at home that you use to blow off steam or that you drive around on the weekends? Yeah, we have too many cars. It looks, it looks like the GM, the GM assembly plant from 1959, I think is kind of what it looks like, isn't it? I, I know. I have a problem with getting those. Yeah, so, to me, those are some of the prettiest cars ever made. I don't know why I have to like the biggest damn cars ever made, you know, <laughs> but it is what it is. Um, yeah, we have a lot. Of, what do we have? We have a 59 Pontiac Wagon very interesting story behind it that it was uh, bought brand new in cleveland ohio and uh, the guy traded it back in in 64 to a pontiac dealership um with like thirteen thousand original miles or something crazy like that and they parked it at this pontiac dealership and it stayed parked in this wash bay until pontiac went down in the <laughs> early 2000s it i mean it sat there the whole time in this wash bay so the outside's got a little scale here and there and whatnot but the inside is like brand new oh, i mean man. like the interior is brand new and uh, that's a fun car we like to pile the kids and the dogs in and it just turned fifteen thousand original miles and of course it's sitting way too low and it looks cool but rides like crap but it looked <laughs> cool we go get ice cream and whatnot and the dogs are slobbering all over the back of it and whatnot but it's fun the kids love it and uh, um we have a 60 buick invicta a bucket seat car um came across that one my friend Boris, you know, street machinery in, in uh, Ohio, tend to buy a lot of cars from him. Um, he came across it and texted it to me. And my wife likes to refer to him as my most expensive best friend. So, <laughs> but we're building another 60 Buick. So it's really interesting. The one we're building is uh, for Georgie Lycostas out of Chicago. And that one's all cut up and, and wedge sectioned and, and moved around. And then you park the two together and you're like, wow, that's. That's what a stock one looks like. But but that's interesting in itself because, um, you know, like everybody knows what a 32 Ford looks like. and, and, mm -hmm. and But nobody knows what a 60 Buick looks like, mm -hmm. but it just looks right. So um, 
the, the, the plan eventually is to park both of them together and, and see the, the differences. And my wife has, uh, so the 60 Buick is technically my wife's. And then um, we have a 54 Caddy convertible that she likes to drive a lot. We have 59 Olds that I really like that car. It just kind of sits on top of the rack. It doesn't move very often, but it's a really neat car. Another low mile car. Yeah, I like the big boats for some reason. There was a, and, and I think Jeff, you probably know Don Beeson. Oh, sure. Yeah. From back in the day, he had a red 59 Olds. And that mm-hmm. car always had a, that car always made an impression on me. So I always wanted one of those and, and came across this one. And that's, that's how it ends up. And then after getting to talk to him one time, he goes, you know, that car started as a blue and white one. I'm like, that's the same damn car I have. So it's just kind of interesting how, how that relates. Yeah, now I have a little uh, shop beater. Um, I bought it from Boris, a little <laughs> 54 Ford. Uh, and I drive, we just, I just did a really quick makeover on it. And again, it's laying like an inch off the ground, all on coilovers. But that, that thing is so much fun to drive. And uh, you don't have to worry about it. It's a patina truck. Don't have to worry about it. It's kind of fun. You know, we go from one extreme with these cars where you got to be really careful with them to, do another one where you just drive the crap out of it. Who cares what happens? It's it's just fun. I, I wanted to talk about that truck because I saw that on your Instagram. And, you know, it's a patina truck, but it's a pretty nice truck. And it just looks so cool. It sits just right at the gray. They look like magnesium Americans, uh, whether they're painted or not. It looks like real old fuzzy magnesium. And it just looks so cool. And then you post a picture of it hooked onto the trailer with like a bunch of gravel on it or something. Like, wow, I guess it, I guess you really do use it as a shop truck. <laughs> we beat the crap out of that truck. But, you know, it's, I don't know. It's just one of those, I feel that body style is really coming on strong. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think you can make anything cool if it's sitting low enough with the right tires and wheels on it. And, and absolutely. <laughs> I wanted to put, I wanted to really put magnesium wheels on it, but it's like, this is a 64 Ford. I can't put magnesium wheels on it. I mean, mm-hmm. you drive it every day just with the maintenance and whatnot of mm-hmm. keeping it up. So yeah, those are literally just the cheap Americans and, and Randy down at wheel tech. I told him like beat the crap out of these things, you know? <laughs> so they were like be blasted with like gravel and <laughs> came up with this, this coating. And I go, dude, throw hammers at them and stuff, dent them up. I want them to look old. And he came up with a coating that's it's, it looks like magnesium. I mean, it's pretty cool. So but yeah, that truck, man, we just, we use it and that's what it's for. That's what all these cars are for. You know, mm-hmm. why build a car if you can't use them? You, so, you built it up to that in the first place. You can fix whatever you have to. Right. Yeah. The Jay Leno mentality of, uh, you know, restore this into a 900 point car and then drive it till it's about a 400 point car and redo it again. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I'm going to majorly shift gears on you here and I, you own a business in what is famously a very intense and time consuming field. How do you find a balance between your work and the rest of your life? Um, that's an interesting question. And I, my wife, Anna Lee gets a lot of that credit. Not a lot, all of it. Cause uh, <laughs> she is, she is, uh, She's the brains behind it and the one that has taught me that, you know, you have to balance stuff. She has her own business and, you know, we have four kids and, and our life is just as crazy as anybody else's. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, 
Yeah, there's there's definitely a balance there. And the Model A that we finished in 17 was the last car that 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 we did as an all out like time doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. We're going to be I'm going to sleep for 17 minutes and get back up and work <laughs> for another 23 hours, you know. And uh she's the one that really brought that to my attention and and for the most part we'll work a few hours overtime here and there, mm-hmm. but for the most part we're 8 to 5 you know, focus, put the eight hard eight hours in when you're here, you get the same amount done. Right. You really do. Don't kill yourself. It makes for a better car. You go home, you're happy. Your family's happy. Everything <laughs> around you's happy. So, mm-hmm. you know, doesn't mean we're not thinking about this stuff all throughout the night, but right. um, there's definitely a balance. And uh, I was just talking to somebody a little bit ago about the whole, they were like, well, what do you do to relax? And I'm like, well, I think about that 62 bubble top that I want to build someday. And it's like, why the hell do I go home? And I, <laughs> I think about cars all day long, but I can't get that car out of my head, you know, and that's how I relax and fall asleep. Well, see, that's the difference between, between doing what's your passion and welding little stainless doodads together in a production job too. You don't think about that when you go home and when you're, you know, we're immersed in this industry. We, I don't think any three of us ever really feel like we're doing work because it is something that comes it's something that comes naturally and if you weren't doing it here you would be doing it you know under your own steam uh, for your own stuff so it's kind of uh you know that's you almost have to have somebody with the perspective to say hey do you realize that you've been at this for 16 18 hours why don't you you know why don't you knock it off why don't you think about something else what, you know, what do you do? Why don't you, do you fish? Would you, you know, like, <laughs> like it, it does, it, it can consume you if you don't have that perspective. So what's, what's next? What's the next big thing that you're excited about? Uh, we got a lot of cool things going on in the shop. Um, and I guess that's, what's kind of cool is, is it's not, it's not one car or one body style or one look. Um, even though it's our look that we put on each one of these, um, got everything from, I guess you'd say a street rod to uh, the muscle car stuff to race car stuff to uh, we have one coming up. That's uh, I don't know what, how much I want to say about it, but it's, it's gonna, <laughs> I don't know how the hot rod world will, uh, will take it. Um, all the drawings are done. I think you've seen it, Jeff, um, but it's a really aggressive handmade deal where everything's moved around. It's all just Eric black drawings right now, but the thing is so bitching. I mean, you just look at the thing and you're just like, it's hard to describe. That's going to be a really, really cool car. Really cool car. And again, I don't know exactly how it's going to go in the hot rod world, but hey, maybe the hot rod world's ready for a change. I th- I think that they are, and I think that we have we have had this conversation in other podcast recordings. But I think that people are ready to look outside the box a little bit. And just because you've always been a thirty-two Ford guy doesn't mean that a well-built good proportion car could be could be a hot rod uh, you know a hot rod is what is it wally park said a uh, modified for speed better performance or better appearance you know so anything can be a hot rod as long as those two things are what you build it for i i think that's spot on and i think you're i think you're 100 right that it's time for a little bit of a change um you know, it's funny how all this stuff goes in cycles. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, the 32s will never go out of style, but man, there's a, sure a lot of 32s out there. And then <laughs> you see a lot of Camaros. 
Well, and I, you know, and maybe that's where some of the outlandish stuff kind of comes from is that, you know, you're, if you're starting with a canvas that there's really nothing new under the sun to do with that car, um, or modifications that you could do that somebody haven't, hasn't seen or, a, you know, whatever that I think that's when people really start to color maybe a little too far outside the lines and you get some, some really interesting results. But yeah, I, you know, the starting with different rolling stock, you know, a different, different vehicle to start with is yeah refreshing oh it's pretty cool and and it keeps you it kind of sparks new ideas and and uh you know i i don't know a whole lot about those we'll just say those cars but uh we're sure learning <laughs> here on the fly and it's pretty interesting seeing the little the little details and little influence those cars can have and say let's say a 32 or a, a muscle car mm-hmm. or something Mm-hmm. Um, a new spin on things so which i think you know that's always the game here is everybody's looking for the new little spin the new little twist and, and somebody will do it and then everybody's gonna do it and it, yeah that's what's kind of fun thanks to andy leach for being our guest today and thanks to all of you for listening to what moves you a speedway motors podcast Visit the toolbox at speedwaymotors.com for the photos we referenced in today's episode. Email the podcast at podcast at speedwaymotors.com. If you like what you heard, tell a friend where to find us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks.